Deuteronomy 18. The priest and the Levite, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no portion nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of Yahweh made by fire and his portion. They shall have no inheritance among their brothers. Yahweh is their inheritance, and he has spoken to them. This shall be the priest's due from the people, from those who offer a sacrifice, whether it be ox or sheep, that they shall give to the priest the shoulder, the two cheeks, and the inner parts. You shall give him the first fruits of your grain, of your new wine, and of your oil, and the first of the fleece of your sheep. For Yahweh your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand to minister in Yahweh's name, him and his sons forever. If a Levite comes from any of your gates out of all Israel where he lives, and comes with all the desire of his soul to the place which Yahweh shall choose, then he shall minister in the name of Yahweh his God, as all his brothers the Levites do, who stand there before Yahweh. They shall have like portions to eat, in addition to that which comes from the sale of his family possessions. When you come into the land which Yahweh your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found with you anyone who makes his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who tells fortunes, or an enchanter, or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or someone who consults with a familiar spirit, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For whoever does these things is an abomination to Yahweh. Because of these abominations, Yahweh your God drives them out before you. You shall be blameless with Yahweh your God. For these nations that you shall dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery and to diviners. But as for you, Yahweh your God has not allowed you so to do. Yahweh your God will raise up to you a prophet from among you, of your brothers, like me. You shall listen to him. This is according to all that you desired of Yahweh your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again Yahweh my God's voice, neither let me see this great fire any more that I not die. Yahweh said to me, They have well said that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brothers like you. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I shall command him. It shall happen that whoever will not listen to my words, which he will speak in my name, I will re require it of him. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet will die. You may say in your heart, how shall we know the word which Yahweh has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in Yahweh's name, if the thing doesn't follow nor happen, that is the thing which Yahweh has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, and you shall not be afraid of him. Okay, this chapter is a part of Moses' great speech, which continues through the whole book. And um, it covers a few different things. Firstly, it talks about priests and Levites. And um, it talks about if any of the Levites should come out of his gate and travel to the place. And it talks about how this Levite and this priest would profit and be blessed from the work, how they were to be given first fruits and taken care of because they have no inheritance. It said that Yahweh is their inheritance. And so we've got this 
you know, the promised land is going to be, it's about to be divided up between the 12 tribes, but in reality there were 13 because Joseph was one tribe but split into two and Levi missed out. So Levi's inheritance wasn't land, it was the Lord. But the Levites were given cities, but they were put on this system where they had to travel. Um, they didn't all live in Jerusalem surrounding the, tab the temple. In fact, the temple wasn't built until Solomon. So for four to 500 years, uh, or 440 years, you've got the tabernacle, but it was initially, um, I think it was at Gilgal initially, but then it was at Shiloh for most of that time up until King David, and then King David moved it to Jerusalem, and then the temple was built. So the Levites and the priests, when it, they lived all through the land. They, all, they didn't just live where the tabernacle or the temple were. So they would be on a system where they would take turns traveling to do their work. And we see this in um, Luke's Gospel where John the Baptist's father, Zachariah, he was on shift. They didn't live there at Jerusalem. He lived somewhere else. He lived up north near where uh, Jesus was. But he was on shift and he'd travel down to do his work. <laughs> so you can see that little bit of play there at work. And that at the start of the chapter, it says that these priests and Levites, they were paid by the first fruits. In other words, people would give to them and that's how the priests would be supported. This is also how it happens in the New Testament too. We're all priests in the New Testament and our inheritance is the Lord. And, um, but we find that when we put his work first, you know, if we travel to the place, which in reality the place is wherever the Lord has put us and we serve him, we find that we receive blessing and provision and inheritance and the Lord gives us grace as we put his house first. So we could say a lot more about that, but we're moving on. Next of all, it starts talking about divination. In other words, trying to find out what the gods want or trying to find out what to do with your life. And it listed all these nine different types of divination and the Lord said they were an abomination to him. Sorcery, you know, divining, necromancy. There were nine different ones that we read and the, the scripture said that anyone who did these things was an abomination to the Lord. Now, if you put your thinking cap on and you ask yourself, why would it be an abomination for someone to try to, you know, consult a spirit or something to get advice? Why is that such a problem? And God said through Moses that that was one of the reasons, or that was the reason that he cast out those nations before Israel. Now, it wouldn't have been the only reason because the nation, the sin was so grievous and terrible the Lord had to remove them. But these nine divination things were something that bothered the Lord a lot. Now, if you think about it, um, essentially, people who, uh, who divine or try to get advice from the spirits, they're consulting demons. That's essentially what they're consulting. Demons have no interest at all in actually caring for people, um, and they only give in any sense where it's beneficial to them. If you think about the Lord, he's all-knowing, he's all-loving, he's so considerate, he's so kind, he rewards those who seek him. And he, you imagine that you know, you're, you're married to someone and they're the world's greatest expert on a certain topic. And you know that because you're married to them. <laughs> but then you've got a question about that topic and you decide you're going to go and ask your next door neighbor who knows nothing about it at all, ask their opinion. 
But what would your husband or wife think? They'd be outraged. Why did you ask them? They know nothing. And they don't care about you either. Why don't you ask me? I happen to know everything about it and, it, and I, you know, I care about you. And the Lord Jesus Christ, I can see why he would be offended with a godly offense. When he loves us so much, he's all knowledgeable, all kind. He has our greatest interest in heart. And despite knowing that, we turn our back on him. We go consult other things. Like people, they go consult the star signs or people go to get their fortunes told or things like this. Um, now, a lot of people do it out of ignorance. But here the Lord was telling the people, you know, he was informing them so they weren't ignorant, not to consult these other things because it's highly offensive to the Lord. And it makes sense. The Lord has our best interests in heart. And when we seek him, the scriptures say we will find him. And then it flows on to this last part, which is the most interesting part of this whole chapter. And it said, you know, Moses was saying to them, don't consult these people for advice, but instead the Lord is going to give to you a prophet like me, listen to him. So there's someone, according to the Bible, according to Moses, that is a prophet like me. In other words, a, a Moses type of a person and we are instructed very clearly in the scriptures to listen to that person. Now, who do you think this prophet like me is? <laughs> it's obviously Jesus. There's no greater human being in the Old Testament than Moses. You think of all the prophets, none of them spoke to God face to face. And Jesus even, God even said, he said, there's no one like Moses with whom I speak face to face. With others I give dreams and with visions, but with him I speak as to a man. Moses was so highly lifted up by the Lord that this person that was to come is going to be someone of us that's going to be like that. Um, when Moses said that the Lord will send to you a prophet like me, there's no one else in the whole history of humanity that's anything at all like Moses. It's clearly Jesus. And um, here's a, here's, people have done comparisons. Now, skeptics, they say, oh, you know, they try to argue it away. And the Jewish people themselves try to argue it away to explain that it's not Jesus. And for example, they would say, oh, it's just a metaphorical thing that means that in every generation there'll be a key person we must listen to. Well, that's rubbish. <laughs> Sorry if you're Jewish and you're listening. But it's there's no one in history uh, since Moses that's been anything like Moses except for Jesus. And people have, have tried to make comparisons. And here, and here is a list of some of the things that you can compare between Moses and Jesus. Both of them were objects of divine intervention to save their lives when they were babies. When they were babies, they were both going to be killed. They, both of their lives were sought as little boys, but both of them were miraculously saved. Both of them were sons of virgins. You've got to think about that. Jesus was born of a virgin birth. But Moses was picked up by the virgin princess of Egypt and raised that way. So Moses and Jesus both had virgin mothers. Both were called to deliver God's people. Both were rejected by their own nation. Moses was rejected by the Israelites. Jesus was rejected by the Israelites. Both were the greatest miracle workers the world has ever seen. It's true. Both of them left a palace to start their work. Both of them gave themselves up for God's people. Both of them were mediators, Moses of the Old Covenant, Jesus of the New Covenant. Both were, the, were like a prophet to their people. 
Both of them have their words fully in the Bible. Both accomplished their missions. Both gave the law of God to men. Both of them were transfigured. You've got to think about that very carefully. But Moses, when he came down from the mountain, his face shone. Jesus, when he came down from the mountain, his face shone. Both of them had um, God's people baptized into them, says the scripture. Both of them gave bread to Israel. Moses gave manna. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Both of them had special treatment in their death. And you'll have to just read up about both of their deaths. Both of them led God's people. Both of them were faithful. Both of them were full of compassion for the people they led. Both of them spoke with God face to face. Both of them were master teachers. Both of them were infinitely patient. Both of them were honoured by 3,000 responses the days that their law went into effect. Now here, I think this, is, this one is a remarkable one. Both of them had miracles with water. Moses turned the, the Nile to blood. Jesus turned the water into wine. Both of them turned basically water from white to red. Both of them gave water to their people out of rock. Moses out of rock. Jesus is the living water. Both delivered people from slavery and both were shepherds. Moses was literally a shepherd and Jesus said he was the good shepherd. This is just a list of some. There's more. I actually cut the list down. I wanted my notes to stop at the end of the page, so I cut some out. I cut out some of the others just to make it all fit. So this is just a comparison of a few of the ways where Jesus is like Moses. But the truth is, Jesus is so much better than Moses that it's more like saying Moses is a bit like Jesus. <laughs> anyway, the key, the thing about this is, is that people try to argue this passage out saying, oh, it's not really talking about Jesus, but it so clearly is. He's right here in Deuteronomy chapter 18 strongly. And the thing that's said about him is listen to him. The problem was that the people were going after diviners and sorcerers and necromancers and God was saying here, don't do that. That's an abomination to me. I'm displeased, but I'm going to send you a prophet like Moses. Listen to him. Not sorcerers, not necromancers, not star signs, not tarot cards, not the opinions of your friends about what you should do with your life. Who should you listen to? Jesus. And it's very strongly said right here in Deuteronomy chapter 18. So Heavenly Father, we want to listen to Christ. Lord, you are the one that is the living water. You're the bread from heaven. Come down to feed us. You're our shepherd. You've delivered us from slavery to sin. Just as Moses did those great things, we see that you've done great things too, even greater than Moses. And Father, we want to listen to you. Help us. Give grace. Help our hearts and our attention to be turned to you always. In the name of Jesus. Amen.